Morning, everyone. What do you think we should do about that? Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Hey, take one minute. Get up. Go and talk to somebody you haven't talked to yet. Do that, and I'll get myself organised up here. Okay, I'm organised. Well, mainly. If such a thing can happen. Hey, really, um, even though it's March, it's sort of the beginning of the year, so welcome to 2024. Um, Are you still saying Happy New Year to people? Or does that sort of peter out about like the beginning of February or something like that? So, I don't know. It still feels fairly new to me anyway. But, um, but hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. It's good, to, uh, good that you're able to be with us this morning. I see a very familiar face in the back row there. Nice to see you. Um, and, but, yeah, okay. So, I want to paint a picture a little bit, if I could, just in terms of what we're going to do as a church family for the rest of the year. Um, based on uh, listening, observing, watching, seeing what's going on in the world and trying to mesh, mesh all that together, uh, as a church family, we, at the elders, we made a decision to look at uh, the big uh, subject was soteriology, so that means nothing to anybody. That just means what happens when a person gets saved? What happens? What is that mysterious thing that happens when a person, in the, in the words of the Bible, goes from death to life? What happens? So that's, that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to look at those sort of subjects for quite a while. Next week we've got uh, the Creation Science uh, team here and um, really encourage you to be able to reach out to other people that where, where creation is a big issue because it is a major influence in, in people's understanding of who God is and what God has done. And so based on Genesis, based on the fact that God created us, we're going to spend... Uh, next Sunday looking at that subject and we've got so we're very fortunate to have uh, some very skillful people coming to share some of that so I'm really ex- quite excited about that we, then we're going to carry on with this uh, the ideas of soteriology then we're going to head into the book of Colossians uh, because it's the most Christ exalting book in the New Testament it just exudes everything that Jesus is and, and in a world where there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different voices clamouring for our attention as you incessantly scroll through with your phone or with your device or whatever, you're looking for something. What are you looking for? 
Jesus has a message for every single one of us that is above and beyond any influencer or person that you will follow or look at or listen to in any other way. He has a message for your life here today, right here, right now. Going to spend some time looking at the book of, of Revelation again because, again, if you look at the Bible, there's six chapters that deals with, with creation. All the rest of the Bible has to do with redemption or the fact that God's story of interacting with our lives and in the final book of the Bible, he says, here's the fruition, here's the end game, here's where it, all, where it all wraps up. And judgment is a part of that. So we're going to spend some time looking at Revelation. Right, let's go. Okay, at Rosedale here a number of years ago, and, and if, again, if you haven't been at Rosedale long or whatever, as a church we made some really serious conscious decisions about what we wanted to do and be. To reach out, to connect in and to grow up was the strapline behind all, everything that we seek to do. One of the aspects of that was that we uh, looked at some values and one of the values was sola scriptura, which means that we take the Bible to be the final authority for everything we do here in this church. It's not my decision as one of the elders, it's not the decision of some other entity or group somewhere else, it's what does the Bible say. So as the eldership, we sit underneath the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God has the ultimate and final authority in our lives and in the lives as we seek to lead the church for God's glory. So that's, that's who we are and what we do. What's, where do we go from there? This was the scary verse that I bumped into last year and really disturbed me somewhat as I thought about it, uh, and, it and it nagged at me for quite a long time. And here's why. Are there some people in our church family who sit under the sound of the word of God who one day Jesus will say to them, I never knew you? So here's where it gets really personal and really important and really critical. How, how do you approach God? And have, when you did approach God, was that the right way? So over these weeks, we're going to spend some time really pulling that apart a little bit and understanding for ourselves, have we got the real thing? And asking ourselves some hard questions. You see, the Bible says that we should examine ourselves. We should actually take some time to think about how is it with me and God? Don't just assume that because of previous circumstances or your history or whatever, your backstory, that I'm okay. Presumption is not the right way to approach God. So examine yourselves. The Bible encourages us to do that. I was delighted, delighted, amazed that, right, that Nigel read from Psalm... We hadn't talked about this. He just read from Psalm 130. But this was the verse that resonated in my mind when I thought about forgiveness... And how often have I recited that to myself when I disappoint myself and disappoint God with my own attitudes and behaviours? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But, I love that but, it's a good but. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. 
I'd love you to grab your device, your Bible, whatever you've got with you. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because I deliberately want you to get, it, get the scriptures out for yourselves. And if you bring, I would encourage you to bring your Bible to church if you've got one. If you haven't, you may have to delve into your device. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 18 together. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So not a big reading. So if you've powered up and you're in the right space, that's great. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. When you come to the scriptures, what's the really important word beginning with C that you should always think about? Context. Context, context, context. Very important. Where does this fit? What's going on? What's the bigger picture that we should at least be aware of so that we're looking at these verses in the right way? Context. Let's go back to verse, chapter 16, verse 14. Now, Luke is a doctor, and he wrote, a, he wrote uh, to largely influenced, I believe, by the Apostle Peter. And he wrote down to a Roman person, Theophilus, and he said, I want you to know everything that there is to know about this person, Jesus Christ. He is the most important person. And so he just kept writing all the events that happened in Jesus' life. And we find uh, this verse in chapter 16 and verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard of this and were, see were sneering at Jesus. So there was an attitude that was going on, that was prevalent, that was going on. Um, let's go to chapter 17, verse 20. So what was going on as these verses that we've read were being, uh, what was going on in the background when, as these verses that were read, uh, how do they fit in? Uh, in chapter 17, verse 20, once having been asked by the Pharisees, 
when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. And he starts talking, and he starts talking, and the context of these verses that we're looking at is sitting inside this discussion of the kingdom of God. Go back. Jesus had said right at the beginning of his, of his ministry, or very, very close at the beginning, not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So this concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was a terminology that um, Jesus was starting to introduce and tell people about. Kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It was going to be something different. In the Jewish mindset, they thought, they thought king on a throne kicking the Romans out of, the, out of their land, taking ownership of their land again, which they had been dispossessed of for such a long time, and in, in a national way, they were going to have established themselves as a nation. That's what they thought the kingdom was about. Jesus' concept of the kingdom was entirely different. He said, no, the kingdom of God is going to be within you. I want to be king of your life. First and foremost... The whole concept of the kingdom is yet to happen and that's way down the track and that's the book of Revelation. So this was the, this was the context of what was going on. Also in chapter 18 verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So he was talking about prayer and he uses uh, this story of the parable of the persistent widow and then he tells them another story about prayer as well. And he was two people that went up to pray but he praised that by saying to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, he told this parable. So he there's the context. That's what was going on in the background as he told this story. The big principle here is this, and it's written for me, it's so wonderful, it's a brilliant message to be able to preach because Jesus has already given me the big idea. The big idea was at the end of, end of the verses that we read, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's a concept and an idea that was that's taught in many places all through the New Testament. It's talked about. The basis of this discussion, the basis of what happened here with, with the story that Jesus told is, that, is the oldest dialogue in the Bible. Job, who walked with, literally walked with the dinosaurs in the Old Testament, predates um, Genesis in terms of the fact that Moses wrote that down. But he was something that he asked in his day, in his time. In Job chapter 25, how can a man be right before God? So this is not a new question. This is an important question, and it's an important question for our generation, for New Zealand in 2024, and for your life here today. So let's look at the two main characters of this story that Jesus told. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Our ideas of what a Pharisee was and the biblical concept of what a Pharisee was may be quite, diff quite wide apart. But a Pharisee in the days of Jesus was the person that everybody looked at and said, he is the most zealous person for God that you could ever imagine. He was the living embodiment of everything that the Old Testament talked about. Or at least he thought he was. He zealously went after everything that he could do in his life to implement the rules that God had set down in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, 
And as, the, as my Bible challenge is going on for myself, I'm reading all the way through the old, uh, all, all the way through the Bible in one year, and I'm chewing through those kinds of books, and it's starting to resonate a little bit. The concept and the mindset that these guys had as they wanted to approach God, and it was very external. If I can do this, 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 if I can do that, and do this, bookfa, I'm an, I'm good with God. Happy days. Or at least that's what they thought. What does the, what does Jesus tell us about this person, this per, this Pharisee? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Do you think he's got the right end of the stick? And he said this, God, well at least he mentioned him anyway, um, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else, not like other men, robbers, evildoers and adulterers. He was measuring himself compared to everybody else. Look how good I am. And this measurement thing is quite interesting because we love to be able to measure ourselves against other people. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's not about height or ability. But he was looking at his life and saying how very, very much superior I am to that guy over there. Not only was he moral... He wasn't a robber, he wasn't an evildoer, he wasn't an adulterer. He wasn't like that tax collector, he was also very religious. I give, I fast twice a week. Now I'm doing some intermittent fasting at the moment. May not show just at the moment, but, but I am. So I don't have breakfast, so I, I finish eating at sort of like 6, 7 o'clock. If I was brutally honest with myself, I do have a cup of coffee and a binky at 9 sometimes um, but I don't eat until lunchtime the following day so it's aiming to have 16 hours allegedly it's going to work it will be fantastic, it will be brilliant nothing can go wrong um, we'll wait and see but this Pharisee said I fast twice a week under the Levitical law that wouldn't, no that wouldn't normally happen he was doing twice as much as what the Levitical law talked about and I give a tenth of all I get So his, his dedication to God was, was in his checkbook as well. So he was giving a tenth of everything that he had. And so he was measuring himself by everybody else and saying, look how good I am. Building a righteousness on his works. He had an absolute desire to follow God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says... Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. When he began his ministry, Jesus said to the people of his day, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds those guys, and they were the absolute and you know, top, of, top of the pile, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Everybody went, what? You mean we've got to do more than that? What was he getting at? Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. By human standards, he said, I am perfect. But he asked the question, how can I attain this, this eternal life, this life with you? 
And Jesus answered him by saying this, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How can that be? And we'll answer that question. The Pharisee prayed about himself. In the NIV it mentions four times the letter I, or the word I, and five times in the KJV he mentioned himself five times and he mentioned God once. Can you see the glaring error here? He reeled off his attributes, his accomplishments, but what was also very, very evident was his contempt for people that are made in the image of God. I'm not like that guy. Luke chapter 10 verse 29 talks about wanting to justify himself to expose, he, he examined himself compared to his neighbour. In Luke 15 we have the story of the prodigal son but the story is really this, the story of two sons and the older son had a resentment inbuilt because in verse 29 it says, do you not realise that I have slaved for you? John chapter 9, the, more, the man that was born blind, the Pharisees invited that person into their meeting to work out how the heck do we explain what's happened here. And they had contempt for him that Jesus had brought, given uh, sight to. The wrong way to approach God is through our own works. Oh, I jumped over. Right. This whole concept of comparison. First, Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve says, "For we are, for we are bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding." Heard a beautiful story about this. Two ants were arguing about which one was tallest as they were looking at Mount Everest. And that's a really good picture in my mind of what it's like to be a human being. You see, all the way back to that verse that we had in, in, uh, in Psalms, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Every single human being that has been made is in the same position as every other human being that has been made. I've been to various countries of the world and I've seen sin working out in different cultures. Doesn't matter what colour your skin is. Doesn't matter what your backstory is. Doesn't matter what your ethnic makeup is. That's not the problem. The problem is the problem of sin. And in, the, and in this verse I see two major themes that are in the Bible. The fallenness of man, but the love of God. Now if you overemphasize either of those, you end up with a wrong skew. You need to understand those in balance. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? The answer is nobody. But with you, God, there is forgiveness, and that's on the basis of what Jesus Christ had done. You see, this Pharisee came to God talked about himself, reeled off all his accomplishments and his moral attributes. We see tons of evidence through that in the Gospels. Lots and lots of time, this dialogue with the Pharisees was ongoing here, this dialogue with people that were coming to Jesus and saying, 
look at me how good I am. And he's saying, with man this is impossible. It's impossible for you to reach God, but with God all things are possible. So this comparison discussion, and we do it, we do it by nature. We measure ourselves with ourselves. But when we do that, we are not wise. We need to measure ourselves against God. And that's where the two ants arguing about who's the tallest compared to Mount Everest. You see, in the history of the church, there was an event called the Reformation. And Martin Luther was a priest in the church at the time. And he struggled and struggled and struggled with this concept taught in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith. It's also mentioned in the book of Galatians. It's also mentioned in in Hebrews. He would go on to have a big argument with the church as it was then and effectively was the beginning of the Reformation. How can a man, how can a person be right before God? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace, God's unmerited favour, that you have been saved through faith. And even that faith is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The story that Jesus was bringing to the audience who who wanted who were confident of their own righteousness who were confident that they'd done enough to get good with God was that they needed to have the right attitude and come in the right way and bringing your achievements to God to say I'm good enough is not the right way the tax collector by comparison understood his situation. The tax collector stood at a distance. Why? Because he was probably timid or frightened or really conscious of where he was. He understood his position in society. He understood that he was not looked upon well in his society at any level but when he was trying to approach God it was at a distance because he understood there was a distance his eyes were lowered the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but beat on his breast and said God be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice that it's personal. It's not a group thing. It's a personal thing. And we come to God as an individual. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what your backstory is, and as I've always taught my kids and the Bible class when I was involved with it, that God has children but not grandchildren. Regardless of if you've got 15 generations of believing 
heritage or you've got none. It matters little when we approach God because we don't come with our generational activity. We come as an individual in desperate need of our sins forgiven. The whole concept of forgiveness comes from God and we need to understand that as God looks at us, he looks at us understanding our sin but also understanding our absolute need for forgiveness. Notice what happened. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth. Interesting statement. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. When God hears that sincere realization from our hearts, instantaneously he was justified. It wasn't a process. It wasn't a, well, we'll, we'll see how you go in six months' time. It wasn't a, well, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then you'll be okay. If you pay this amount of money, you're going to be okay. If you do this, if you come and do this communion, no, it's none of those things. People that are saved can do those things, but you need to be saved first. I tell you that this man went home justified before God because everyone who exalts himself, you want to come to God and talk about how good you are, you want to come to God and use the personal pronoun all the time, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm doing I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing this. No. You come to God with the open heart, open heart reality. I am a sinner. As I thought about this, this, this verse just resonated with me. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. I didn't know what this verse meant for a long time but I went to Sunday school once and I got given this verse and it was up on my wall as a kid growing up and I didn't know what it meant. And it wasn't until a number of years later that it resonated with me that the verse that I'd been given at Sunday school, the only time I went to Sunday school, was this verse. And it resonated after all those years. Wow. God had something to say, and he's very interested in their attitude. I have rhetorical questions. I've got some rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is a question that you ask without, ask, without requiring an answer, but I want you to think it through for yourselves. Here's the rhetorical questions I've thought about. When it comes to your own standing before God, how would you describe your attitude? When it comes to your own standing before God, if you were asked the question, how is your standing before God, how would you describe your attitude? How do you look at and perceive other people who don't have a relationship with God, in your opinion? How do you look at and perceive other people who don't have a relationship with God, in your opinion? 
the two lessons that I see sticking out of here quite strongly is coming to God with the right attitude, absolutely imperative, absolutely important. And as a church, we're committed to that, understanding people, understanding their position before God, but you genuinely coming as an individual and asking for that relationship, asking for that forgiveness from the Lord. As a personal comment, I can remember the day when that happened for me. As part of my job, I now drive past the campsite that I came to Christ at. It's up at uh, Turingatura, just out by Dipton. It's a bit run down, but it's still there. And I can see the hut that we were sleeping in, where after the big pillow fight and the big dorm raids that used to go on, when we were supposed to be sleeping, um, I crawled out of my bed and asked God and spoke to God for probably the first time in my human experience. Not sure the language was perfect, but the heart attitude certainly wasn't. And everything changed. And I look back to that time as the start point of that. What I understand about it now is profoundly bigger and deeper and greater, but what it does just makes me the happiest person. Because I can face tomorrow, because I know that the God who created me, who redeemed me, has also got a plan for my future. And yes, the human life will finish it someday, but the eternal life never. And I'm enjoying the eternal life right now. So Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. As a church family, we're going to spend some time asking some really personal but but important imperative questions. How is your standing before God? So we want to spend some time and do that. Now, if that's caused a question or a doubt, in your mind don't just put it off seek and maybe that's somebody you know here and if, if that's true do it Okay, let's pause to pray together Father this day we just rejoice that uh, there is truth that we can live by that we can come to you with open hearts Understanding our absolute position before you, the righteous and holy God. Thank you for all that you have done for us. There is nothing in our hands that we can bring, but simply to your cross we cling. Thank you that Jesus Christ died for my sin and for our sin. And I thank you for the wonder of being in relationship with you and the enjoyment of having the God of the universe in our lives. Father, help us with our questions and doubts if they're there. Help us to think through those using your scriptures, your truth in our lives. Thank you for each other and and the time we can spend together today. And uh, thank you for the beauty and the truth of this wonderful story that Jesus told. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you very much.